This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. I'd like to start off by thanking each and every one of you listening for your loyal support. Can you believe it's been three years of Krista Makes a Podcast? That's right. Our first episode was in June of 2020. And to celebrate, we brought our very first guest back to commemorate the event. Today's guest is none other than lead vocalist and guitarist, John Feldman, from the Los Angeles, California ska punk band, Goldfinger. Together, we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind their fan favorite song, Superman taken from their 1997 and second album overall, Hang Ups. John mentioned that he wrote Superman way back in 1994, while he was writing all the rest of the material that ended up making their self-titled debut. The band even released an earlier version on a split 7-inch with Real Big Fish. And while the song was the lead-off track on the album, the tune initially received little to no radio play, and they never shot a video for it either. But, thanks to Tony Hawk Pro Skater, the song has taken on a massive life of its own, becoming one of the band's biggest songs, both live and on record. So for all this and a whole lot more, don't you dare go anywhere. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey. John Feldman. That's me. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. It is. It is morning. You, you're, you're up. Uh, I knew you'd be up early. You have kids. Yeah, dude, I get up. Fuck. I get up so early, dude. I, <laughs> I'm in my, I have a cold, a cold plunge. I go on the cold plunge. I train. I'm like, I don't know, dude. I just, you know, the, I forget what, what year, probably around 37, 38, I started getting up early, you know, with the kids, whatever. Yeah. Well, I want to congratulate you for being our first return solo guest. We had a, a, a Kevin from Interrupters came back with Amy for an episode. We had him before, but you're our first guest back just by yourself. You were the very first three years ago. You're episode 158 now. Thank you for sitting back in with us. I know the listeners are going to freak. Yeah, dude. I was with uh, my trainer, Glenn, this morning, and he was like, this podcast is amazing. He listens to it all the time. So you're killing it, dude. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You know, and you know this this track, Superman. I, I would almost argue now, John, that this song is is bigger than here in my bedroom. I mean, the whole Tony Hawk thing. When I see you guys play this live, this is like the the runaway hit. Would, would you agree? It is such a bizarre, dark horse of a hit. Yeah, I mean, I just <laughs> I would have never guessed that this was going to be the song that defined my career in a band. I just, I had no idea, you know, I just had no idea. I, um, I wrote the song, our second album hangups. Like I wrote the song, you know, in 1994, I was 26. 
when I wrote this song and I was, you know, still selling shoes. I was working retail for $7 an hour and I was, so I'd go to work uh, like 2 to 11, 2 p.m. to 11, and then I'd rehearse from midnight till 3, 4 in the morning, sleep, you know, try and do some kind of promotion for the band in the morning and then write music, go to work. And it was like, I think pretending I'm a Superman was the, the idea of, you know, kind of being everything for everyone and trying to balance like paying my rent and being in a band. I was living with this girl at the time in Venice and I just, you know, I wrote this song in a song called Question. It was going to be like this kind of opus, this 10 minute kind of like, you know, punk rock, ska punk, I don't know, just epic moment. And I, I ended up cutting the songs into two and Superman just became, I don't know, it was like when we first released it, it was a split seven inch with Real Big Fish. And God, I forget what song they had on their side, but we had, I think it was a cover song and Superman was the first way we released it. And it's weird. I'm sure you have the same experience when you write a song, you don't really know until you let people hear it. And when when it first came out, it wasn't like, it wasn't this big deal, you know? And then it got into Pro Skater, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, we were on tour with the Bloodhound Gang. Yeah, I remember that tour. In the first show was in Leeds. It was A, Dan Carter, who's now this big DJ on um, on BBC Radio. Yeah. You know, he was in this band A. It was them, us, and Bloodhound Gang. And we played Superman halfway through the set. And it was like fucking crazy. Like, you know, circle pit, stage diving. And people were kind of standing there the first half of the set. Like, who the fuck is this band? And we'd already had our first album come out. Here in Your Bedroom was already this this song that kind of existed in the States, you know, with all this radio support. And then we're over there and Superman just becomes like just crazy thing. And I'm like, what the fuck happened? How did this, <laughs> I had no idea it was in a video game. No idea that, you know, Tony Hawk, you know, had such a impact on, on my career. I mean, cause it was like, you know, the video game just came out. It was just this wild moment, you know? Well, isn't that amazing how much we, uh, as uh, artists, as well as the labels we were on back in the 90s, back in this time period, put the, how much stock they put into like radio and MTV when, and, and now you're looking back and you're going, we had no idea what Tony Hawk would do for our careers. Yeah. Same with us and a ton of bands. And, you know, the song Superman, it was used in the films Kingpin and Meet the Deedles. Yes. And then two years after its release, the song uh, got into the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And the song, John, became so synonymous with the video game that a 2020 documentary about the game was named pretending i'm a superman the tony hawk video game story so there you go and people talk to me about superman like yeah you tony hawk and, and and superman that's one of the first songs they out they, they equate it to that video game it's so cool i know it really is man and it was you know we had tony hawk came out and sang the song with us when we headlined the house i of saw Blues. that yeah that was <laughs> like a month and a half ago it was it was wild. You know, I met him. I've been producing Avril Lavigne. And so they did this skater boy moment where he taught her how to drop in on a um, on a mini ramp. And then this thing went viral on TikTok. So I, I was at her house when, when Tony was there. So I met Tony for the first time last year, which is so weird. You know, in 2022, <laughs> the first time to meet Tony all yeah. these years later. 
and to thank him for this, this, you know, it's like I'd written, like I, like I said, I wrote Superman in 1994 before our first album came out. And I didn't even think it was good enough to make the first album. I didn't even put it on the first album. We had it laying around and we, we recorded this seven inch at this other studio. We made the first album at this place called Media Ventures, which was Hans Zimmer's I almost said Han Solo. It was Han Solo's studio, and um, <laughs> Chewie was the engineer. It was like we had to go to this other studio that Jackson Brown owned, and Real Big Fish was – because Real Big Fish was recording their first album at the time. And so we had Scott and Travis. We had Real Big Fish's horn section played on it, and then Aaron from Real Big Fish sang all the harmonies. Like all the harmonies on Superman is Aaron singing it. Which is pretty cool. So wait a second. On, on, on the version from Hang Ups, that's Aaron. On the version from, from Hang Ups, that's Aaron singing all the harmonies. Yeah. He was, he was right next door in Media Ventures. And we were next door in Jackson Brown's studio. And he just came over. And I'm just like, dude, do you want to sing harmonies? And so he just sang all those harmonies, which was epic. You know, I, I thought that was I, – I was for sure that was you. No, it's Aaron. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And – I don't know. I was, I was listening to the song recently and I was like, you know, I, I mean, the police are my all time favorite band. And it's like, I just, I really made Darren play all those, like the, you know, the, the ping stuff, like, like the, the bell on the ride symbol. I just yeah. made, made him do that shit on Superman. And I was like all the splash stuff. Like, I'm like, we have to, you know, kind of channel our inner, you know, Stuart Copeland police energy on that song. And, um, I was, I was thinking about recording it, you know, Charlie, you know, and, and and the good and the bad about you know Charlie and my relationship is like he's definitely a more musical guy than me. I think about you know melodies and lyrics, but he's thinking about the overall picture a lot more. And he came up with this killer guitar part at the end of Superman, the do 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 do. You know, and uh-huh. I said we have to like support it with horns, and he was like. Fuck no, we don't. We do not need horns to cover up my guitar part. And I'm like, look, I just had this vision for this song because, you know, at the time it was like there was a movement happening with your band, with Real Big Fish, you know, um, Safe Ferris. All these bands were kind of, you know, really coming up at that time. And I'm like, I want horns to be first and foremost in the second album, Hang Ups. I wanted it to be like a real ska record. And Charlie fucking threatened to quit the band over that horn part at the end of Superman. He's like, if you put that horn part in, I'm quitting the fucking band. And it was like this big moment. And he stormed out of the studio. And, you know, Scott was sitting there with his trumpet. And I'm like, let's just put it in. And I guess we can take it out if we have to. And we ended up leaving it in. You know, Charlie, you know, since has been like, you know what, man, it really made the song. But it was really hard at the time. Right. Well, and, and I think you guys compromised, John, to refresh your memory, because at the very end, and it's so funny you mentioned that, and we're going to get to it, uh, the first half of the, because it's a 16-bar outro, the first half has that beautiful arpeggiated guitar part you're talking about. Then the second half, the horns come in with it. So yeah. I think there was a, a split compromise, but that's hilarious that he was so up in arms about horns. You know, at the time, it's funny, you know, time is the great, you know, kind of leveler. You know, at the time I was so, we we were both so passionate and so emotional about what, you know, what instrumentation this song needed to have. And, and, And God, I just, you know, he was so angry and there were so many emotions and like, and I think the song probably wouldn't be as good as it is without that sort of butting of heads, you know, with yeah. Charlie's, I mean, that guitar part that Charlie wrote is like, I mean, it's legendary and it's, and, and you know, when Charlie wasn't in the band, 
every guitar player had such a hard time playing that part. It's so unique. And now that Charlie's back, it's just like it all kind of comes together for that moment. Right. And gosh, that's so hard to explain to to well, non-musicians, but some musicians of how you can re- you can replace somebody with the best guitar player, but they're never going to be that person. They don't have the same heart, you know, that something's going to change with it within a band. And you get a guy that can maybe on paper uh, play circles around Charlie, but he goes to play the lick and it just doesn't sound doesn't sound the same. No, no. Charlie's like very I mean, I know, you know, Charlie, he's a very um, yeah, he's a very passionate guy. And it's like I. I respect that more now than I ever have, you know, when, and when, when he voices something like we made the last record together, the, the last album we did, we made it, we made it with Charlie. And, uh, and I just, when he would raise his hand and say, look, I really feel this, this should be this way. I, I, I listen to him now more than I ever have, because I just know how those moments in hindsight are so important for the song. And that moment in Superman is irreplaceable. As you said, the time is the great equalizer, the great leveler, you know, and that's that that's good that you can uh, you can look at it from that perspective now. Well, I want to get into the song in a second, but I just got to say, you know, with all the production, you you know, you're just you have your ear on the ground. You're constantly evolving, John. Um, it's remarkable. You're cultivating new artists. And, you know, what we were talking about earlier, you know, especially nowadays, there really isn't radio. There's only so many spots that there's no MTV anymore, but you never know what's going to happen with your song now you talked about tiktok something goes viral look what happened with weedus recently with teenage dirtbag i mean i'm hearing that on alternative radio sandwich between the peppers and nirvana again now you know so you never know this late in your career how you're going to get a resurgence i know i my you know i love stranger things but my kids really love stranger things and you know running up the hill that hill that kate bush song that you know when i was in high school was a hit and it's just <laughs> yeah you just never know what's going to like spark something to kind of you know come back or a sound to kind of come back and i think the last couple of years we've had this pop punk revival and it's i'm fucking stoked you know it's like this whole yeah this whole kind of movement and to be honest like you know five seconds of summer kind of stumbled into my lap when i was in england they were out there rehearsing this band from australia they just kind of I, I, you know a friend of mine just mentioned their name and they were literally rehearsing two blocks from my hotel. I walked over to their rehearsal space, met the boys and we just, you know, they were massive fans of the used. And so we just became, you know, best friends. And it's like, they were the first band to kind of bring the sound back into the mainstream into you know, pop radio. And, um, and it's been, it's been a wild ride for me. I mean, ever since then, I've just been kind of like, you know, I mean, at the end, what we talked about last time, song is king. And, you know, you've got to have a great song no matter what the production yeah. is. You've got to have a great song behind it all. You know, you're an amazing writer. And it's like, you know, I, I just try and guide the artist to the good, like, what's the hook? And what's that What's that thing that the audience is going to love to sing back to you? Like, what's that moment? If you're in the audience, what do you want to hear? And I try and guide the artist to think about that, to think about their audience and what do they, what would you want to hear if you were in the audience? Yeah. It's an interesting kind of like, you know, thing to do when you're writing, writing a song to, 
to think about it from the other pers- other perspective. Sure, and you've sat in both seats. You're the producer and the performer. Yeah. So that's, you know, you, you're always thinking the live setting. How's this going to translate? And that I think that's that's amazing, amazing advice. Well, the song is three minutes and five seconds. And John, the first thing out of the gate is a cool little drum fill, followed by eight bars of drums and a clean upstroke guitar pan slightly right. On bar five, we get some toasting. <laughs> How do you describe toasting to the listeners? Because I can't toast <laughs> <laughs> at all. I don't yeah. even want to try to embarrass myself. Yeah, I can't. I can't either. So I, I mean, I think I embarrassed myself enough with this song. But, but look, I, I mean, the first concert, you know, like we talked about, the first concert I ever saw was the English Beat and the English Beat and Bow Wow Wow, and it was like, you know, the beat were so big when I was growing up. It was. That, that was like the soundtrack to my summer for sophomore and junior year. And it was like, you know, the police of the English beat, just like Canary in a Coal Mine and uh, Man in a Suitcase. Those songs influenced me so much when I was growing up that uh, and Madness and kind of all that, you know, the specials, all that kind of second wave ska stuff. And it was just part of my culture. And then, you know, kind of when, when Green Day and um, Operation Ivy and Rancid kind of came back, I really like just dove in head first and I'm like, I've got to make something out of Goldfinger. I've got to make this thing happen. And um, I was so influenced by Joe Strummer and Tim Armstrong. I think on this song, I was like listening to that Let's Go record a lot. And um, and it was like this kind of like, I don't know, that grit, that I, that forced grit that I have on that song. Um, like, you know, even in that pick it up, pick it up, that part is like this forced thing that um like i i've evolved as a singer like we all do like we all grow oh, up yeah and we, we find our 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 feet and um i listen to that and i go that was you know me at 26 and that was who i that was who i was with all the influences that i'd had up until that point in my life that was who i was then and um i listen to it now i go i I wouldn't be able to recreate that without losing my voice if I tried to sing that way now. It's weird. Of course. It's really weird. Of course. Yeah, well, and I, I did not know, John, that you mixed Hang Ups. I know you produced it along with Jay Rifkin, who did the first record, but did you mix the first album too? Yeah, I, this guy Slam Andrews really kind of took the reins on on this self-titled record and on Hang Ups, and we both mixed it together. And I was in there. I didn't know shit back then, man. I mean, I was just yeah. literally dialing knobs, like, like <laughs> turning them all the way up going, what, what does this that do? do? What does that do? Exactly. And I was like, on the <laughs> snare drum, I just wanted that ping that you can hear on Superman. You can hear that that real kind of high pitch. I'd have, I'd have Darren tune the snare drum as high as it could go just to get that ping. I wanted the snare just to like pop. And it was like, so I'd, I'd crank all the top end, like I think like a like a 12K shelf, I would just turn it all the way up on the snare drum. So there'd be all this like hi-hat bleed. So we'd have to gate the snare drum just to make it so it wouldn't be all hi-hat because it would be so uh, filled with top end. But it was like I was learning and I, I knew what I wanted to hear. It was just getting to the finish line took a minute. And uh, how much do you think the touring, because you guys, the first record, you were out there the whole time, which, you know, it makes sense. You 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 wrote Superman and a lot of these songs back with the first record, because how the heck would you had time to do a second record? This one came out only a year and a half after the first one. I just think about, um, 
the era that we came up in, you know, you and I came up in the same exact era, like living in a van and you're driving overnight and, you know, we're all switching off driving duties. And <laughs> I remember we had a, a, a TV with a VCR um, if you don't know what a VCR is, you can fuck off, man. <laughs> you know, we have VCR TV that was made into one that plugged into the cigarette lighter. We had cigarette lighters back in the in the vans back then. And and we would um, put in movies like in between the driver and the passenger seat and just like watch, you know, videotapes, you know, like American Pie and something about Mary, all those great, you know, whatever. And we would just do these overnight drives. And it was just it was wild back then. Like, um. I don't think people will ever tour the same way that you and I toured back in the nineties uh-uh. ever. No, I don't think that'll no. ever happen. It was just, it was, I mean, it was epic and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it was so not safe. I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember going from like, I don't know, in, in Colorado on, on a snow court tour, it was us headlining Real Big Fish before us and Blink-182 opening. And we hit black ice at 3 a.m. and just like did three full 360s on the black ice. I don't know how we Uh. survived that. You know, I've been in three bus crashes. It was like I went and saw Nessa Barrett last night with my daughter, who's a huge fan. And and it's like – and, and she was great and it was it was great but it's uh, um, the idea of concerts now uh, I, and you know it's not all I mean of course turnstile exists and of course there's you know great hardcore bands that still exist sure but it's just back then you'd have the combination of you get on the radio and you'd have to play these radio shows during the day and then play a club show at night so we'd be, we we played 385 shows in 1996 and that's a lot of shows i mean we're doing double show days a lot like like you did you know and it was like trying to yeah. not lose your voice and my shin splints and you know herniating my disc you know all the <laughs> the, the fucking shit that you go through yeah I kind of got long-winded a moment ago and, and kind of forgot where I was going, but all that touring you did, I was saying that, you know, the the sound quality to me between hangups and the first record, it just, you guys grew so much. The sound on this to me is just exponentially better than the first record, and the first record sounded great. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I, I, I had learned a lot. I think I had, um, I had started producing other bands like Show Off, I think, was right around the same time, and I was yep. starting to learn more and more, and, and hangups just became... And it's like, look, you know, I, I, I as a producer now, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think about all the shit that I could have done better. But we, you know, we had the Skeletones play horns on hangups, um, I mean, except for Superman, which was real big fish. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you live and learn. And I got to tell you, I, you know, from that show off record, I think the next thing I heard that you did, John besides your own stuff, was the use record. I'm like, what is going on? I mean, you just, you went leaps and bounds at that point. But going back real quick to the intro here, who did the toasting? Do you recall? God, you know, I, I think it I think it was me, but it could have been Charlie, you know? I really? Don't, you know, I gotta, I gotta find, I gotta fucking find out. It's because I, when I listen to it, I'm like, this sounds like Charlie, and I'd, I'd, I'd probably bet that it is Charlie. <laughs> that is very surprising. I can't picture Charlie uh, Charlie toasting, but that is, that I is know. awesome. On bar seven here, we get that pick it up four times that you're talking about, John, and it does have a little rancid angst to it now that, now that I think about it. On bar eight, a distorted guitar panned off left playing eighth note palm mutes comes in, and a bass guitar joins the party along with trombone and trumpet, which that would have been Dan Regan and, and Scott Koppenstein from Real Big Fish. Yep. Get up, get up, get up, get up. 
like like yourself as a musician I've had so many influences, you know, as a kid between, you know, the Star Wars soundtrack and uh, and Queen and um, like all the classics like The Who and The Beatles and all that. But Metallica growing up in the Bay Area, when I first heard Metallica, man, I was like, this shit is fucking mind melting. And so, you know, um, <laughs> James Hetfield, James Hetfield is probably my my favorite, like right handed guitar player, you know, and. I want to say I've got a pretty good right hand when it comes to like palm mutes. And I've always been that guy, the eighth note palm muting guy. And so I wasn't as well versed as a musician when I wrote Superman as I am now. I'm not, not to say that I'm Mozart or anything, but man, I, I really like just wanted a song that felt like it just was always evolving and moving up. And that guitar part in the intro of Superman and in the chorus of Superman, it just climbs all the way up the neck. Instead of going back down to the lower octave, it keeps going all the way up to the high, um, the high A uh, pattern up on the, A str- on, the, um, on the A string. So it just keeps going up and up and up. Yeah, well, you know, the, the same instrumentation here in Chorus 1 was the intro, but the horns here are mixed lower to make room for your lead vocal. So here I am, doing everything I can, holding on to what I am, pretending I'm a superman. So here I am, doing everything I can, holding on to what I am, pretending I'm a superman. You know... As a writer, you always want to have a concept, right? Like when I start writing music you know, with any artist, I'm like, what are you going through in your life? Like, what are your, you know, what's happening right now? Is there a breakup? Is there, are you in love? Are you, yeah. are you, are you whatever? And it was like at that, at that point in my life, I, I think Superman came as an afterthought. I wasn't really thinking like, what is the concept and what's the hook of the song going to be? I was just thinking, all right, I'm going to write words. And then it just kind of like ended up on the word Superman. And it wasn't like I was thinking of, you know, any, you know, kind of superhero story or a concept of a cape or anything like that. It just, it just sort of became that at the end of the lyric, pretending I'm a Superman just ended the chorus. And it just made sense to me that that was the title of the song. And it, it kind of wrote itself. I mean, like every great song that I've ever really been involved with, this song probably took me 45 minutes to write, you know, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't think about it. I didn't overthink, man. It was like, I try. I know the overthinking is the enemy of any artist, you know what? And it's so funny. It's like, I, I watch the process 99% of the time we come up with an idea and then we're like killing it for the first hour. And then the second hour is, Oh, this sucks. We suck. I, I'm, I'm, I, I should give up this, my career, like all that. And then by hour three, we're back to, Hey, this is pretty good. And then hour four, we've got a song, but it was like, this song was just written. It was just me with an acoustic guitar in my ex-girlfriend's li- living room in her apartment in Venice. And it was just the two of us, my, the guitar and me. And that was it. And it was like, by the time I got to the end of that chorus, when I was thinking, like I talked about earlier, man, like, you know, showing up for work, paying my rent, trying to play shows at night, rehearsing with the band every day, putting up flyers on Sunset Boulevard with a wallpaper paste, all the shit, like pretending I'm a Superman, doing it all. Hey, we got to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but we'll be right back with lots more with John Feldman. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service. 
that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. And now, back to the show. Well, on the line, holding on to what I am, there's double vocals on this line. It's not locked, uh, but it sounds real because it's kind of uh, breathing there. Was that Aaron on that or is that you doing that double? That's me. I did all the doubles. He did the harmonies. So yeah, I doubled I doubled myself. And it's interesting, you know, back then there was no vocal line. There was no auto-tune. Right. Because this was the tape. This was it. You know, I, I just, yeah. I did it till I got it right. And you know, Jay, who helped with the record and, you know, signed the band, Jay Rifkin, he would make me do takes start to finish back then. You know, now we do so many drop-ins and stuff, but back then it would be one take because, you know, I would write the song, bring it to the band. We would learn it in rehearsal and we'd go over it over and over and over and over. So we, I had rehearsed Superman probably, you know, a hundred times before we actually recorded it. So it was like, you know, I knew how to sing it start to finish. And by the end of the song, I'm more tired than the beginning, which is the way it should be. (laughs) It should be that way. Trying to keep the ground on my feet. It seems the world's falling down around me. The nights are all long. Yeah, I'm singing this song to try and make the answers more than maybe. And now that I read this, the nights are all long. You're talking about not getting to bed till 3, 4 in the morning, getting back up and going to sell shoes. Is that what you're saying there? Absolutely, yeah. Um, It's weird. I, I never like to use the analogy of like writing a song you know, I, I never like to use that kind of musical analogy in lyrics. I try not to anymore. Like talking about writing a song isn't, I don't think I've done that lyric since this song on anything I've ever written since then. It was weird. It was like at the time I, I think that there was 
a freedom when you're, you know, kind of starting out as a songwriter. And, you know, I've been writing since I was a kid, but, you know, I was really focused on writing music since I was maybe, you know, 22, 23. So I was still kind of starting out. I just like whatever came out, I'm like, this is this is it. This is it. And I was so precious yeah. about like it had to be a certain way, you know. And so it's funny thinking about like um, singing this song. Like I would never, I would never write that lyric anymore. But back then it was fine, and and it worked. Well, yeah, exactly. Like if you look at it on paper, it seems a little juvenile. The nights are all long. Yeah, I'm singing this song. You wouldn't do it now, but it doesn't feel juvenile in this, in, 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 you know, in this context. When I'm listening to this song, it's like I would never have thought what you just said. But I've used that lyric too. I'm singing this song. That's kind of a go-to. Yeah, right? I know it is weird, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think. Ultimately, you know, like we talked about earlier, I'm I'm up I'm up at five thirty in the morning now. But back then, I'd I'd be I'd be I'd be staying up working till five thirty in the morning. And, and um, sure, those days those days were all all my creative juices were at night. All of my energy was at night. And um, so the nights are all long. Totally makes sense. Yep. Same here. Well, uh, verse one, we get the drums, the bass, and that clean ska guitar is here. Uh, here's some organ panned off left. I believe it's pretty buried in the mix, but definitely on the last line here to try and make the answers more than maybe. There's definitely an organ swell here leading into pre-chorus one. And I'm so confused about what to do. And we get our first harmony there. I'm assuming that's Aaron. That's, is, uh, yeah, that's Aaron singing in the pre-chorus. Mind blown. Uh, and next, the next lyric is, sometimes I want to throw it all away. So what, what are you trying to say there? Just to take a step back for a second. Paul from the Skeletones played all the organ on this song. And he, oh, cool. He, he actually had like a B3 organ and he had the, you know, the... Um, the road what's that thing called? The rotator thing. The, the, the Leslie. Leslie. Yeah, the Leslie. Had yeah, the whole the whole fucking thing. And we had it. I had to borrow my roommate's truck to drive to Riverside to pick it up. And on the drive back, after recording Superman, on the drive back, I made a I made a turn a little too fast. The whole organ fell out into the street. <laughs> All the keys oh, no. smashed out of the organ and destroyed his organ. After recording Superman with Paul, I felt so terrible. But I'm oh, so grateful. That he, but we, we got the performance of the song before his keyboard got ruined. <laughs> which... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that is that is awesome. Well, in, in pre-chorus one, we get drums, bass, a distorted guitar panned off left, the clean guitar right. And, you know, going back and listening to, to these ska records, John, which I, I, I do now differently than I did back then, not many bands in our genre were doing the guitar distorted off here in, in the sky. It was either going to be, you know, the stereo guitars with the heavy guitars. You'd have them stereo. And I really thought that was neat here. And I like it because of the separation. You can really, really hear what's going on. Uh, and then on the last line, sometimes I want to throw it all away. We get a nice organ hit, uh, organ hits with the band there. And then we get into a double chorus. So here I am, growing older all the time, looking older all the time, feeling younger in my mind. And here I am, doing everything I can, holding on to what I have. we 
we get. So here I am growing older all the time, looking older all the time, feeling younger in my mind. And then the back half is the same as the top. And here I am doing everything I can, holding on to what I am, pretending I'm a Superman. And a lot of times you'll save the double chorus for later in the song. Why here? Do you remember why you doubled it here? Um, I think that we we felt like the intro wanted to be like a tease chorus. And I think arrangement-wise, I should have chosen Here I Am Growing Older All the Time for the intro chorus. If I could go back, I would have done that because I feel like that's a better hook. But, you know, I think that that, like Landslide Fleetwood Mac, like the idea of even children get older too. I think that that lyric, here I am growing older all the time, feeling younger in my mind, looking older all the time, feeling younger in my mind. I feel like that lyric, it's just the older I get, the more it feels real. Because as a 26 year old, you know, you're feeling like, well, I'm not 16. I'm like, I am getting older and I'm looking older. Mm -hmm. But like, as I'm now, I'm 55. It's just it really resonates with me more now than it even did back then because you know i've got kids now that are 17 and 14 and and they're and and they get old like that it's like it's crazy oh, i know and uh i know that lyric should have started the song okay well i that's interesting you say that because here we don't start with the top lyric that comes after you know you you start out with so here i am growing older all the time so uh, it's interesting you you brought that up cuz i've you know, I, I hadn't thought that till you just said that. that that's interesting. Uh, in this first part of the double chorus, it breaks down here, and which that's another kind of oddity with this song. You know, all of a sudden we're at the second chorus and you're breaking down the first half to just drums, bass, and a slightly broken up guitar panned left playing those eighth note palm mutes. They're barely tucked in the mix, but it's great. You get the double vocals on looking older all the time. And then the last line, feeling younger in my mind, the clean ska guitar comes back in there. Second Second half, same instrumentation as chorus one, drums, bass, guitar, pan left, guitar right, and the horns getting the double on holding on to what I am, the double vocals on that line. Out of that, John, we come into a eight-bar full band reintro like the top of the song before verse two. <laughs> You know, it's been quite some time now. Do you recall with Jay Rifkin when you were in the studio talking about these parts? Because you had the song for so long at that point. A lot of times it's not broke, don't fix it. Did anything change up to this point? Do you remember? Well, I remember Charlie was really um, adamant about having his guitar over to the uh, to the right. I think uh, he played all this all the ska stuff, and I, I think he's on the right, and I'm on the left with all the distorted guitar. And yes, he just really wanted to make sure that people didn't mistake our two guitar styles. That he that he had his moment on the right side. I think he was really adamant about that. And I also want to just you know my hats off to Simon Williams who played bass on this song. And, and oh, so good, such a great so like like playing. You know, getting the the pick to hit the strings, the, the wound of the strings to get that grit on the bass and to do all downstrokes on a song as fast as this is like, it's legendary. And he really brought this song together with that low end. Because back then we're not adding 808s, we're not adding sub bass. The, sure. All the low end is covered by Simon, you know, everything. And he killed it. Absolutely. Something else you reminded me of when you were talking about the lyric, looking older all the time, growing older all the time. Saw a great comment when I was researching the song on YouTube and someone said, man, 
this just hits different at 35. You know, so when he was 15, 20 years ago, or whatever, hearing the song, and now, as you said, you know, it's just when you're 26, you know, you're looking back that 10 year span. Oh my gosh, it was it was so long since I was 16, and now you look back and realize it wasn't that long. Yeah, I know. The truth is, that neither of us are ever going to be as young as we are right this second. This is as young as we're ever going to be <laughs> right now, and it's like, how do we, you know, how do we embrace that moment? Like someday I'll be, I mean, God willing, I'll be 65, 70, like looking back on, you know, looking older all the time, and it'll hit me different then than it does now. Mm-hmm. Well, verse two, we get another another wrench thrown at us here. Just, you know, the drums break down to that classic rock steady side stick on the snare drum feel with the bass and the organ playing chord pads. There's some sporadic toasting in here. It almost sounds, John, like, you know, you were taking a, uh, a pick slide, like a on maybe a string or something I'm hearing in there. I'm trying to sleep. I lost count of sheep. My mind is racing faster every minute. What could I do more? Yeah, I'm really not sure. I know I'm running circles, but I can't quit. I'm trying to sleep. I lost count of sheep. My mind is racing faster every minute. What could I do more? Yeah, I'm really not sure. I know I'm running circles, but I can't quit. Yeah, it's that whole dichotomy of like following my dreams, being a musician, and then reality, selling shoes, dealing with 60-year-old women showing me their boils and corns on their feet. (laughs) Reality versus, you know, fantasy. And it was like running circles, just, you know, that's the whole thing. And I was thinking about, and every time I think that song, because, you know, this is our our biggest song of the set. I mean, maybe, maybe our cover of 99 Red Balloons as well, but this song really like, I mean, it's always the big circle pit thing. And I always think, you know, I know I'm running circles, but I can't quit. And I just think about the live experience. And I think in my mind, it was a subliminal message to what I wanted, what I wanted to see in my, my mind's eye of like this crazy, you know, because at the concert last night, everyone's filming the whole show, right? They've all got their cameras out and no one's moving. And I'm like, you know, if I don't put on, if I don't feel like the crowd is going berserk, I'm not doing my job right. And I feel like this second verse of this song is like, you know, encapsulates that whole idea of what I'm dreaming of in fantasy land of the circle pit versus my, you know, my reality of selling shoes. Yeah. And as far as like just a paint by numbers, ska punk song, this isn't that because verse two here, the whole, like I said, the whole field changes here. It's, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, peaks and valleys in this track. I love the echo delay that you have on the word sleep, sheep, more and sure. Okay. Whatever you guys did there, it's just got that ska reggae. I don't know. There's just something about that placement that I, that I really love. And on the line, what could I do more? Uh, a great sparkly clean, a super fast arpeggiated picking part comes in panned off right. I'm assuming that's uh, Charlie as well. And it's very reminiscent of what happens later in the song at the, the outro. Yeah, I think rhythmically, I was always cognizant that we needed to be channeling that you know, kind of sting Andy Summers, Stuart Copeland energy. I mean, Andy Summers on guitar, would his guitar was always so clean. I could hear every little note that he would hit with his pick. And I wanted that to be present 
in the song with with the with the echoes with everything. But you know, like anyone, I think that played in ska bands, and we all like for me, it was you know Peter Tosh, Steel Pulse, and Bob Marley were the you know the three big ones for me that really influenced all that kind of dub. You know, those kind of like memory man echoes on the vocals, and mm-hmm. I think throwing that in there was just like sort of a tip of the hat to where we where we came from is like a ska punk band and man you know my band was just we we thought we were too punk rock you know we loved all the aftermentioned bands you're talking about all the ska stuff but man you can't find a delay on any of our vocals on any of those records because we were just that's not punk rock and i look back now and i'm just like oh because i was so frustrated because i loved stuff like that real big fish was would use that and it was just it was great pre-chorus two comes in it's the same lyric as the first time we get that harmony on the first line and i'm so confused about what to do again not super lined up here didn't uh, uh go to pro tools you went straight to tape uh, you know those now it's like do you think john as a producer and do you still do this say it's good enough. I know it's not perfect. How hard is that now where you're at in your career to do that, though? I mean, dude, things are so different now because you're competing against these playlists that have Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift. So you've got <laughs> the best writers in the world that you're competing against when you're trying to get playlisted on New Music Friday or Rock This or whatever it is. And so you want your shit to sound just as good as everyone else's. And and sometimes I have, a, to be honest, sometimes I have a hard time letting that go. And back then, you know, this was recorded on two inch 24 track tape yep this was recorded on tape and it was like aaron was doing us a solid because at the time i mean goldfinger and real big fish were neck and neck on who's the bigger band in southern california like we were neck and neck and it was like i was honored and i still am honored to be friends with aaron barrett and it's like i was thinking about aaron last night because it was nessa barrett i'm like i wonder if there's a relation to aaron but um (laughs) but you know like he, he just he sang it in one take and i'm like that's great perfect thank you buddy you know? Yeah, he doesn't give himself any credit. You know how he is, but he's uh, he he's be- better than he better than he thinks yet. Hi, hi, Aaron, if you're listening. The bridge part, John, of this song. What a departure! You know, the band cuts to halftime, but there's an urgency here as it feels pushed by those 16th notes on the ride symbol. That Stuart Copeland thing, you know? And I always said Darren was the Stuart Copeland of punk rock. He had a very unique style and those rushing, you know, it makes this halftime part seem like it's moving faster. It's awesome. Clean guitar uh, playing straight down beats is panned off left, and a more playful ska guitar is off right. They're not lined up at all. There's this kind of ping pong going with your ears there. It's really cool. And the lyric here is controlling everything in sight, feeling weak, I don't feel right. You're telling me I have to change, telling me to act my age. And now we get harmonies from Aaron all in the back half here. But if all that I can do is just sit and watch time go, then I'll have to say goodbye. Life's too short to watch it fly. So watch it fly. Yeah, I mean, growing up, my, my dad only only let us listen to 
musicals as a kid, which is you know definitely why I became an alcoholic later in life. And it was like, you know, just uh, I think I think ultimately um, I, I just uh, I, I was trying to you know still prove my dad wrong at this point. I was living in L.A., you know, being self-supporting, doing all that, you know, doing the shit we have to do to make it work. And my dad was you know very you know he he was you know doing the best he could. He was you know he was a nuclear physicist, so I mean he was like you either go to school or you fail or you become like a homeless drug addict. And I think that was the two, one or one or the other, you know, and I didn't go to college. And, and so, um, you know, at telling me to act my age is definitely, definitely at to my father, like that, that lyric is right to my dad. And, um, and I think like you said, I mean, when I first met Darren, he was managing a Starbucks on La Cienega and he was working with my best friend and I, that's how I met him. And I remember we used to talk about music and he'd be like, I'm a better drummer than Vinnie Paul. I'm a better drummer than Dave Grohl. Like, and I'd be like, dude, who is this arrogant guy? And, and then he came in and he fucking just killed it at his first audition for Goldfinger back in 93, 94. And, and just like, you know, he is a ripping drummer. And, you know, we both share that, you know, Darren and I share that in common, our, our, you know, our, our Stuart Copeland worship. And, um, and yeah, he killed it on the song. It's like, you don't have, we didn't have a beat detective or anything like that. It was just like, he would do one take start to finish and he'd get a good one. And that was it. There's no punching in. You know, it's amazing, John, that you were able to put one record together. I mean, think of the alpha males in this band, yourself, Charlie and Darren. I don't know how you ever got anything done. <laughs> I know, dude, you know, <laughs> Darren, Darren and I definitely had moments and, um, and, you know, you know, we were all best friends though at the same time, you know, and, and Darren I know, would, I, know. I mean, God, he would go to bat for me, that guy I would get, cause I'd be on stage and I'd be this fucking arrogant prick to some, I mean, then I'd start fights on stage and Darren would finish him every time he was like, um, but you know, that's what it's like being in a band. It's like the best sure. times and the worst of times. Well, you had your back. I love something I'm going to mention right now on the line, but if all that I can do, there's a harmony. Uh, I like how the harmony happens here, but it's still halftime. But you know, a lot of times you'd be like, okay, we're going fast. Now the harmony is going to come in, but the harmony came in when it was still halftime on the line is just sit and watch time go. The band picks the tempo back up. Both ska guitars aren't completely locked still, but more so when the band was halftime earlier in the song. And on So Watch It Fly, I love the harmony here on the So Watch It Fly line, thinking that that was you. There's something about the way it's sung there, and it kind of, there's a little rub that, that's, just, that's just great. The drums switch to double time on this line. Uh, the band stops, and you get that intro drum fill again with a three-note arpeggiated guitar panned off left to take us into chorus three. Bye. And chorus three, John, is set up the same as chorus two. Lyrically, it's the same. We get the vocal doubles on the third line. Uh, the first half there, the chorus, it's just ride cymbal. Again, another feel. We break down here again. Uh, ride cymbal, ska guitar panned off right with the bass and the horns. On feeling younger in my mind, a cool drum fill takes us into the second half of chorus three. And on pretending I'm a Superman, on man, you go up an octave there. 
it just kind of lifts yeah. before we get into that outro. Yeah. During the bridge, I was thinking about how much I like Block Party and the, 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 the back and forth guitar stuff. And I don't know why I, you know, when we wrote that part, Charlie and I had it in the bridge of going back and forth, like I'm doing the upstrokes and he's on the downbeat. And it was just like yes. this cool thing that I felt like, you know, would be great in stereo later on when we recorded the song. And, uh, and yeah, the breakdown part of that song, again, it's just like, you know, that ride cymbal thing. It just opens up for this big, like like the Smiths. Like Darren's favorite band's the Smiths. And he'd always have that, you know, just that washed out ride that made it open. And I felt like that breakdown chorus just felt like it. And it is interesting, too, the first chorus is broken down as well, which yes. doesn't happen a lot. You kind of like, you know, typically on the, the dynamics of a song, you're growing, growing until the down chorus. And this one, we kind of are up and down the whole time, you know, with the second verse with the bridge with the first chorus and then the last chorus you know we're, we're kind of going down every single time it's like a roller coaster of dynamics it's crazy it really is this song is is kind of all over the place and going back to that guitar part you're talking about with you and charlie as a producer you know that could have went sideways real quick you know if you're, you're sitting there and it's just like it's not gelling together but man it, it does gel together then we get the 16 bar outro probably john I, the whole song's great, but these last 16 bars are probably my favorite part of the song. I think it has to do with that arpeggiator thing you're talking about. It's just so soulful here. And, and I think you guys took a leap here from the first record. I didn't, there wasn't any moments like that to me. I'm going, wow, this is, this is pushing the boundaries of what we're all doing here is, is ska punk. Probably my favorite part of the track. Like I said, such an amazing ska groove. Drums go to halftime. Uh, and there's distorted eight note palm mute guitar pan left, an organ and a killer arpeggiated clean guitar courtesy of Charlie. Then on bars nine through 16, the horns come back in with that guitar riff uh, and the whole band uh, ends abruptly. <laughs> There you have it. A song that really didn't have much traction at, at what was modern rock alternative radio back then. Uh, didn't get too much MTV play from what I remember. And because of this soundtrack and the fact that you guys just never stopped touring all these years, here it is, one of your one of your biggest tracks. Who would have thought? I know. It's crazy. I mean, we never even made a video. I mean, it's like back then you'd you'd always, you know, you have the single, you make the video, you do all the thing. And, and we just didn't do... Uh, we just had no idea, you know, this song doesn't have a video. It's just like, you know, and, and thank you, Tony Hawk. I mean, I really feel like, you know, you never know, like we talked about, you know, TikTok or stranger things. I mean, that was, that was what pro skater did for us. That video game for sure. That video game. And we've been on a couple different ones. It gave us a validity outside of the ska punk world. It's like, Oh, these guys are, are, they must be something. They're on a Tony Hawk video game, you know, and you know how the things were not talking smack against Tony or any of that stuff, but they weren't huge advances. If anything you got, you just wanted to be on it. It wasn't like we were making a bunch of money, but what it's done for our careers in the long term, you can't put a price on it. No, no, it was legendary. And like, you know, I just, you know, I, I can't thank Tony enough for like what, you know, kind of what he did. And, and I mean, he at the time was, I'm sure just, you know, kind of like overseeing and saying, yeah, let's put this one in. Let's not put this one in. I'm sure I don't, I'm, I don't know if he's handpicking bands, but I mean, you know, in the end, 
Superman wouldn't have been what it was without that video game. Absolutely. Well, John, thanks for coming back after three years. Thanks for always being a friend. Before we sign off here, I, you always have a million things going on. So if you can condense it, what do you got for the listeners? What's going on with, with you? Uh, I've been working with Youngblood, who's amazing. Just, just amazing, you know, kind of super rock star. I've been working with this girl, Charlotte Sands, um, you know, finishing the second Avril record that I have with her. Um, it's just like these, this day and age, just like a million things. I got this kid, this kid that my son actually found um, named ZZZ. He's uh, signed to Juice World's label and he just... Uh, I don't know. He's just kind of like rapper, like Kid Leroy style. And it's been so fun to just come up with these beats for this kid that just like freestyles. He's incredible. So I've been busy as always. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, friend to friend, I'm always proud of you. Congratulations. Thank you, man. You look great. Thank you. You do too. <laughs> Hey, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with John Feldman. I can't believe it's been over three years since John Feldman was our first guest on Chris to Makes a Podcast. So we got to talk about that in the rap segment, plus lots of other stuff. It's all coming up right after a few words from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Chris Demakes a Podcast producer Chris Fafalius here. I think you like this podcast, so I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to subscribe to a podcast called A Band Called Punchline. Don't know the band Punchline? Well, it's my band, and we've been a band for 25 years. The podcast is a documentary-style look into our story, and it doesn't even matter whether you've heard us before. I promise, the story is that good and that weird. It starts out as a few friends playing music in a garage, but where it goes is wild, I promise. It's like the most relatable behind the music of all time, because we never actually had a hit song, yet. But the things we experienced along the way makes this podcast like Forrest Gump meets Almost Famous. So yeah, it would mean the world to me if you searched for a band called Punchline wherever you get your podcasts. And let us take you on a crazy ride back through time, leading right into today, our 25th year of being a band. Hey, maybe you even have a new favorite band by the time it's all done. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Just subscribe to it, goddammit. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via mp3 only and a short bio to ban you might not know at gmail.com this week's featured artist is rockstead a passion-driven rock reggae band from cincinnati ohio featuring jake burns on lead vocals and guitar stephen woodard on bass and nada nucci on drums here's a snippet of their song 
last straw. Like a snake in the trees, coming after me and they're moving quickly. So run, run far away. Don't let the poison seep into your brain. Push it away, or it will take your ability to love and create. Cause it's full of hate, the world of today. And it's being propagated by your TV. So don't let the lies or the fables they make hold your ability to stand up and say, Chris and Chris. Well, it goes without saying that I absolutely loved that episode, Chris. And I got to tell you, this was mentioned early in the episode. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm remembering all these memories are coming, flowing back into my brain. But he brought up the seven inch. It was a split with Real Big Fish. It looked like a Tiger Beat magazine. And the two Real Big Fish songs on it were Take On Me and In The Pit. And the Goldfinger side was Superman. And they did a cover of Up The Junction by Squeeze, which is an amazing song. Uh, And I remember listening to that on my parents had like a, I guess you would call it a console record player. It was like a piece of furniture, you know, that was like a big record player in the basement. I remember listening to that record right at the same time I would listen to your split seven inch with Jay Church, the one with Charlie Brown on it that had Scott Farkas on on it, which had a different arrangement of Scott Farkas on it, which that to this day is still my favorite Less Than Jake song. So just this flow of memories <laughs> that he he brought out by talking about that. It was so cool. It's amazing what will jog your memory. But yeah, this... Uh, <sighs> How many times you heard me say it? it's like a broken record and I and, and excuse me for saying it again but until I get these songs on paper under the microscope as I say and I'm looking at them you know I've heard this song a, a billion times but man what a cool arrangement Oh it's so good man that whole hang-ups album you kind of said it I, I mean I think that I think that self-titled debut Goldfinger album sounds amazing but this was like a whole other thing it mm-hmm. wasn't like a recreation of that first album it was like it was more than just like a punk rock album. It was such a step up and Superman leading that off, man. What just what an amazing album. It sounds so good even today. Yeah. Well, you know, doing uh, almost 400 shows in a year and a half or whatever it was yeah. certainly helps. They did. They just got better as a band. And I never would have guessed Chris all these years uh, ago. And until, I, you know, we started doing tours with Goldfinger. I always just figured John was the singer. He played the ska parts. You know, Charlie's the, the tough guy with the, you know, the, the tattoos and the bald head that he'd play all the heavy parts. And it's complete opposite. That just trips me out. I think it's crazy that this is kind of the hit for Goldfinger. I, I would say, yeah. right? If you played shows with Goldfinger in the past few years, I'm sure. Is this the song? Is this the song when they start playing? I mean, Goldfinger has a lot of great songs, but is this the one? It Pretty much. You know, as John said, it, you know, like 99 uh, Red Balloons, their cover of that goes over like, you know, gangbusters right. when they play it. Superman didn't have... I'll dare to say a quarter of the visibility is here in your bedroom, probably less than that song. And it's all attributed to Tony Hawk. It's amazing. You never know. And especially, as I said to John, with him being a producer now, certainly you you never know a song you, you, you do now in 15 years with technology and what's happening. Who knows what the TikTok in 15 years is going to be or the Instagram or how you can get yourself out there. And and you you never know just because it wasn't a radio hit today doesn't mean something could happen with your track tomorrow it's crazy they didn't make a music video for this song wasn't like the single from the album this lonely place i think was the single from this great song it was but how when i hear this song now it's such like a 
<laughs> it's such a classic from our world of music. I can't believe they didn't hear that it was the hit. I wonder <laughs> if it was released with a music video and everything, if it would have been like a giant hit at radio at that time. I have to think it would have been. Well, I think it was a, maybe in John's mind or the band a little passe. It's something they had written four or five years prior. And, you know, him and Charlie are kind of button heads about the horn thing and, and this and that. And it was just, you know, as we've heard a billion times in this show, it was just another album track, just another song in the repertoire that ended up uh, having another life on its own as as, as we are here. Uh, thought it was super cool that John came back uh, after yeah. after three years. He's here, uh, our first guest. I can't believe we've been a podcast that long. I, uh, it's still, still crazy to think, but... Three um, years, man! I, three years! <laughs> I know, and and I just want to say one more thing about, about John as, as a mixer on this record. I didn't know he mixed the first record, but, you know, the leap that they made, my opinion, from from uh, record one to record two. And John just sat here again. I remember him saying this the, the, the first time we did the podcast with him that, yeah, man, I was just twisting knobs. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Well, for not knowing what you're doing, this record sounds pretty darn good, which I always tell people. It's like, how do you record? It's like, well, trust your ears. You know, don't don't always look in the meters or what this is showing and where's the volume at? Does it sound good to your ears? And, and obviously it, it uh, he tweaked enough buttons that it, that it ended up sounding great. Well, of course, when it comes to music, there is a certain amount of innate talent that you have to have or, you know, or to be able to do things. But that's also a great tale for like, if you want to do something, start doing it, Uh (laughs) you know, like actually do it. Don't talk about doing it. Don't think about doing it now more than ever. If you want to learn how to do something nine times out of 10, you could go on YouTube and learn how to do that thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I know I've done that many times with things I've learned how to do, be it making podcasts to (laughs) animation and things like that. You can learn if you want to learn. I think that's, that's pretty inspiring to me that John at this time you know, then look a few years later, he's making like that used album that sounds absolutely incredible. And look at all the things he's gone on to do. And all it took was just doing the thing, you know? Yep. Perseverance and, and just, uh, you know, trudging on and moving forward. And I love that the lyrics are autobiographical for what he was going through emotionally at this time. He even admitted some of the lyrics are kind of juvenile, but they work. Uh, and he even references his father, you know, talking about the lyric, telling me to act my age. So, Overall, great song, and I'll tell you something else that's great, Chris. What's that? Our supporting cast VIP program where you get extra bonus episodes of the After Party each week with Chris and I for the price of a cup of coffee, uh, or I don't know, maybe a, a cheap beer somewhere, not in a major city. You can support our podcast that you know and love. That's right. You can head to ChrisDemakes.com. Hey, this would be the perfect week to do this. We've been doing this podcast for three years, and if you've been along for the ride with us maybe it's time to sign up for the supporting cast people really seem to enjoy it we enjoy making the episodes of the after party and uh i don't know i'm i'm just i'm just psyched man i i feel like i gotta recognize that we've been doing this for i mean three years whatever it's not like a five or a ten or whatever but three years we really stuck with it and i don't think we're i don't think we're gonna stop anytime soon and it's not just three years as a name that we've been doing this show every monday since june of 2020 without fail we release an episode i'm proud of us congratulations chris if you haven't already, go to the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook page and sign up. We'd love to have you. Give me a follow on Instagram at Less Than Christy, and I'm still doing those custom songs for you or that special someone or a jingle for your business. Hit me up, 
Christamakes at gmail.com for info. I'd love to write you a song. Want to thank this week's guest. Happy anniversary. Happy birthday to us, Chris. Yeah. This week's guest, Mr. John Feldman, for coming back with us. And we'll see you next week. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fall Out Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts.